As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So we only have four confessions left for this season with two fresh ones coming at you today. I'm pretty sure everyone listening will be able to relate, especially those who have or had at one time a side hustle in the hopes of making some side income. Rocketship.fm is actually kind of a side hustle for Mike and I. We've now mastered knowing how much we can and can't take on in a given time period. But early on, I consistently bid off more than I could chew, working late into the night knowing I need to be at work, my full-time job at 8 or 9 in the morning. And Rocketship wasn't the only side project I had in those days. Before I worked at Dribble, I actually built one of the most popular Chrome plugins for Dribblers, which was constantly breaking because... I wasn't a real engineer and it made a little bit of side income, but every time there was an API update or someone hit a strange bug that I hadn't encountered 
before or servers went down. There's only really one person that could fix it. So every time something went wrong, I was pulling all-nighters. And I can't say the money was really worth it, but I had committed to building this thing. And so I felt like I had to see it through. But anyway, we'll be talking more about side projects today. Plus, we have one for the managers, specifically the product managers, who may feel like Bill Lumberg. So, Peter, what's happening? Now, that's an office space reference for those of you too young to remember the cinematic classic. But now that I've dated myself, let's just roll the intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So today we're bringing on a fantastic guest to help us make sense of these confessions. We have Dan Shapiro, the CEO and co-founder of Glowforge, the iconic 3D laser printer. Glowforge actually started out as one of the biggest 30-day crowdfunding campaigns on record on Kickstarter. And designers around the world now have Glowforge printers, and they create all kinds of stuff. Wallets, lamps, furniture. Dan is also the author of Hot Seat, the Startup CEO Guidebook that's published by O'Reilly. Before founding Glowforge, he launched the best-selling board game in Kickstarter history, Robot Turtles, a game that teaches programming fundamentals to preschoolers. And before that, he was the CEO of Google Comparison, a Google subsidiary. And Dan actually sold his previous company to Google. That's how he ended up there. So look, he's been featured on NPR, the Wall Street Journal, the front page of the New York Times. His game, Robot Turtles, has been sold everywhere from Target to the MoMA. He's got dozens of patents and all around a fantastic guy. So Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Glowforge. This is actually my fourth startup, give or take. Previously uh, created uh, Photobucket, which uh, online imaging, uh, SparkBuy, which is acquired by Google. We did comparison shopping and Robot Turtles, a board game that teaches programming to kids as young as preschool. And I love talking about startups, new companies, entrepreneurships, and how to make them successful, and frankly, how to avoid them from becoming terrible disasters. All right, let's get into the first confession. We're calling this one, my side hustle turned out to be a lot of work. A few years back, I decided I needed a side hustle. I already had a job that I enjoyed, but well, I'm single and don't have any kids. I don't golf. I don't really watch much TV. I don't have a whole lot of hobbies. So starting a side hustle seemed to be a good idea at the time. It would be a creative outlet for me. And hey, maybe I'd even make a few bucks doing it. Well, I started that side hustle. It's a simple e-commerce dropshipping company. And so far, everything has sort of worked out as planned. It is a great creative outlet. It does make decent money. The only problem is that it's also a lot of work. I suppose it could be something that could be a full-time focus of mine if I gave even more effort. The only thing is, I never really wanted it to be a full-time thing for me. I actually really do love my job, but now I'm not sure what to do. This side hustle requires more of my time than I'd really like to give. I'm not quite sure if I should just shut it all down, find a partner, sell it. Can I even sell it? All right, Dan, what did you make of this one? Oh, what went through my mind is this is somebody who just walked into the casino and somebody handed him a giant sack full of chips and said, go crazy. And now he's like, the responsibility, 
the like, what do I do? Look at these funds. I should probably be responsible and cash them out. No, man, you are living the dream. And I say, man, no, whoever you are living the dream. What you've got here is you've got something you've created. You've created it around a nucleus of something you love, and that's interesting. It is something that can bring you joy. It, it might be bringing you a little less joy right now. It is bringing you income, but you don't need the income. What that means is you can take risks. You can take chances. You can try turning this into whatever you want it to be. Everything you talked about sounds interesting. Don't think about selling the company as, gosh, can I sell the company and cash out? Think about, ooh, would it be a fun adventure to go see what it's like to sell a company? Because selling a company is a thing. It's a lot of work. It's really interesting. You learn a whole new set of skills. And normally it's terrifying because, you know, when, when I, uh, uh, when Google uh, and, and some other companies approached me about buying SparkFi, I was in mortal terror. This thing that we'd been building, I had investors who were depending on me. If I messed it up, I could ruin everything. Did I want to give up the company I was committed to build? Did I want, but you know, there was this great outcome and like, oh, so stressful. You can go through this and be like, hey, look, okay, what are my possible outcomes? One, I don't sell the company, same as before. Two, I do sell the company. Now I have money and time to do something new, new side hustle or a new hobby. I sell the thing. I, uh, I don't sell it. Or, uh, or I learned something along the way, whichever way it goes, you win, you're coming out on top. Or if you take it in another direction, you say, you know, it's, it's just become such a drag. Maybe you want to try having somebody work for you because you haven't done that before. So you're going to try learning a new skill set around managing somebody. You're going to hire somebody to do it, or you're going to take on a partner and you're going to look at it through the lens of not, I have to do this or else I'm a failure, but through the lens of, I'm learning something new. Absolutely. I love that. Have you ever felt this way yourself in any of your ventures? Oh my gosh. So often because, you know, four companies, but that's four companies that actually got somewhere. The number right. of things I did that were side <laughs> hustles or supposed to be the main hustle and didn't work out and whatever the case is. I mean, like I'm preaching with a zeal of the converted because how many times did I feel crippling guilt that the thing I was doing on the side wasn't working and I wasn't putting enough time into it, that I feel a sure. sense of obligation to like chase this idea long after it had conked out and, you know, and dead on the side of the road, but no, it was my thing and I had to make it work. The, 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 the number of times we get to pursue things that we love, that help us grow, that help us learn in life is limited. And we need to make the most of those. It is incredibly challenging to make that call of when you continue to pour your heart and soul into something that's, that's not working or doesn't feel like it's working right now and when to give up. But, but the stakes are different when you love your job and when this is your passion. Yeah, it, it almost seems like it is it's a whole mindset thing. Like in the, it, it, things are going well with the side hustle. I can understand how person making this confession is like, well, I should do more like, cause then it could be even better, but it just take a, it sounds like what you're saying is take a different mindset to approach it in a different way. Just thinking about it a little bit differently. And maybe all those anxieties could go away if you're just approaching the, the thought of it a little bit different. Is that right? Exactly. It's so easy. Like this question would be a thousand times harder if it had come in and said, 
this is the thing I want to feed my family. This is the thing I want to be doing. But, you know, it's turning sideways. It's, it's, uh, it's so much work. I'm not sure if I can do it. Like, those are, the, those are the, the questions that are impossible to answer. The how do you know when to give up? How do you know when to call it? Uh, you know, how much risk is too much risk? But this one, this is a problem that, that we make for ourselves. And it's a problem that we can solve for ourselves by, just like you said, by changing our state of mind, by changing our perspective, and by looking at this, not as an obligation, not as a responsibility, but as an opportunity to grow and to learn. And I, you know, I love the way that, that, uh, that this was positioned as like, this is my hobby. This is my pastime. I'm doing this instead of having pets or kids or whatever else. And, and that's the way, that's the way to connect with the joy and growth. And, and by the way, it doesn't, doesn't all need to be joyful, right? Like growth can be fulfilling without being joyful. There's a ton of hard work in the kind of business that, uh, that was described. And, and that's good as long as it's good. It's good as long as you're learning. It's good as long as you're growing. It's good as long as you feel like you're doing something that's fulfilling. But if it's your side hustle, then you don't owe that work anything. Then you have no responsibilities and obligations to that. And you should center on yourself and on your personal growth and opportunities for what is it that you want to learn? What is it that you want to draw out of this experience? What are the ways that you can take what you're doing and use it to make your life better because that at, at its best that is what a side hustle is all about we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors when rain wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow at&t business eventually talked him into the pillow thing and backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, now it's time for our second confession of the day. And this one is for those product managers or manager managers out there. This one we're calling, Sometimes I Feel Like Bill Lombard. I've been a product manager for a few years now. Generally, it's a great job. I like being a part of the team that's creating great products. Our products are generally well-received by our customers. Our company has been growing. But sometimes, I just feel like Bill Lumberg. Remember the scene in Office Space where he keeps approaching his employee, Peter, and says, Hey, Peter, what's happening? and then proceeds to ask about the project Peter is working on? Well, that's how I feel sometimes following up with people. I wish there was a way to follow up on open tasks without seeming like I'm breathing down my team members' necks. Any suggestions for how to best do that? Now, Dan, I'm sure you've been here. I worry about that too. There's something odd that I've noticed for leaders and, um, and managers that I've known. They fall roughly into two categories. The first category is people who I think of as uh, gnawing, fear is gnawing at them, that they are not doing their job right and that they're letting people down. What, uh, uh, what some people call imposter syndrome, or actually the, the, the psychologist who created it calls imposter phenomenon, uh, Pauline Rose Clance. But the first category is people who feel like something is wrong with them and how they're doing their job and are scared that they are lumber, just like you. 
The second category are total psychopaths. I haven't found anybody in the middle. Everybody I know who I respect in the world of management and leadership is constantly asking themselves, sometimes it's a shouting voice inside, sometimes it's a little whisper, am I doing right by the people who work for me? Am I treating them fairly? Am I being thoughtful? And sometimes it's just the normal human question of do people like me? Am I being a jerk? Am I acting in a way that's, that's turning people off? I think that's a part of the human existence. I think that's a part of being a caring, thoughtful manager and a leader that you are looking at yourself and you're looking into your own heart. You're asking if you're coming from the right place and then you're concerned that other people may not see it. So I, I hear your problem and I'm not sure I have a great solution. I'll tell you some of the ingredients that I think about. There's an old model of leadership called situational leadership. And it talks about how, as a manager, you may feel like the right thing to do is to always be teaching people how to do their job. Or the right thing to do may be to always give people goals and then hold them accountable to those goals. But in fact, it all depends on who the person is, what the job is, what your skill set is, and where they are in their career. Some people are going to need the kind of the kind of coaching that, you know, let's keep going with our movie references, that Mr. Miyagi gives at the start of The Karate Kid. Here, let me hold your hand. Wax on, wax off. Let's not worry about why you're doing it. Just keep practicing the motions until you get it right. They need that kind of close, tactical coaching about the details of their job. Some people take a different approach. They need something like, uh, like the kind of inspirational leadership. They think about teaching. There's a scene in, uh, uh, in Sister Act where Whoopi Goldberg is teaching the nuns how to sing. And she says, imagine that you're in a room full of people. She puts her hand on, on the nun's belly and says, and sing so they can hear you across the room. And she starts singing and then she pushes on, the, on, on her diaphragm and you, you hear this magnificent voice belt forth. They, they, need, uh, they need coaching, not, not teaching, but inspiration and coaching. There's a scene in Apollo 13 where the flight director, Krantz, says, here's the parts they've got, and he puts down a box. Here's how long they've got. Go figure it out. He gives them metrics and an outcome and says, make it happen for me. And there's a scene in Star Trek, the, the, the new one, the, the Star Trek motion picture, where you see the captain look around and say, I want to read out from everybody. And he hears everybody's analysis on the decision he makes a call. So whether you're Miyagi or whether you're Sister Mary Clarence or whether you're Commander Pike or whether you're Flight Director Kranz, the tools that you use have to be right for the person, have to be right for the situation, and have to be right for you and who you are. And if you feel like you're like you're Lumberg, it may be because you're taking the wrong strategy. It may be that you're treating somebody like the Apollo 13 flight engineers, you're treating them like Ralph Macchio in, in The Karate Kid. And you need to be a little less wax on, wax off, and a little more, here's the box of parts, go solve the problem. At the end of the day, your leadership style and the styles of the people who work for you may or may not align. You can do your part to bring the right tools to do the job. 
And they're going to ultimately decide for themselves whether or not that works. In the best of cases, they're going to be excited and inspired. In the best of cases, they're going to perform incredibly well. In the best of cases, they are going to admire and respect you for the leadership you bring. And there's a lot of other possible outcomes too, which can range from grudging respect to outright frustration and friction. Your job is to bring the right tools. Your job is to bring the right knowledge and perspective and inspiration. And their job is to come to it with the best of, um, with assuming the best and working hard to deliver. And hopefully, and most of the time, it works out and it comes together to form a great working relationship. But boy, that fear of Lombard, I, I worry about that too. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. So now it's time for our takeaways from today's confessions. I feel like Dan did honestly an amazing job breaking these down. So I'm just going to focus on that second one, the one about the product manager who feels like Bill Lumberg. What I'll say is we've all been there, right? But this can easily be fixed with process. In fact, I think the fact that this product manager is constantly going to their team and they don't know where anything is and they're bugging people to, to finish work is actually because there isn't a great process. Now, at Dribble, we actually set up a system of product management that forces accountability and conversation at particular milestones in a project. Now, I'm not going to get too far into detail, but what we ask our teams to do is a rigorous scoping process up front. They do all the usual pointing of the tickets, and then they set milestones for themselves. The engineering team actually sets the milestones, of course, working with product in agreement. What that does is force a conversation that if that group of tickets, which is labeled kind of a milestone, a mile marker, isn't completed by the time the team says they'll have it done, it forces a conversation. So that way the product manager doesn't have to go running around. They already have a milestone. And ideally, the engineering team is coming to them before that milestone and saying, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late or I'm a little bit early or I'm right on time. And that way they record that conversation they talk about the new things that they've learned throughout the project since no one ever gets timing right. It's the hardest thing to do is say, I'll be done in three days or four days. Sometimes it takes six days because there's so many unknown unknowns, even in the smallest pieces of work. But remotely, this process has worked incredibly well for us. Everyone on the team knows where their projects are, and product managers don't have to run around like Bill Lumberg trying to figure out where each piece is. There's a lot of trust on the team, but there's also a lot of conversation, and people are constantly updating each other on where a project is. There's a lot more to it, but this was one of the big problems that we tried to solve because it's nearly impossible to have a team of product managers running around being Bill Lumbergs. That's no way to work. So anyway, if it's helpful for anyone, I'm happy to go into more detail. Just shoot us an email, and I'd happy to chat. But until next time, actually on Thursday, we're going to be back with our last episode of the season, season 10, Workplace Confessions. So don't miss it. Make sure you tune in, and we'll be back in just a couple days. 
Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.